For those that are here in the auditorium and watching online, please take your Bibles, if you would, at this time, and head on over to the book of Leviticus, Leviticus and chapter 20, Leviticus 20, this morning. I want to thank all of you uh, for praying for us as we had a time of vacation. And uh, thank you as well to all the musicians, to Pastor Luke, to Scott, for those that ably uh, filled in and ministered to all of you uh, as we were away. It was a time of exhausting refreshedness. Uh, And so we were blessed to spend time with family and uh, also needing a vacation after we got back from vacation, but here we are. Leviticus chapter 20, verses 1 through 9 this morning. Our passage this morning speaks a lot of what we value, and so that is the title for this morning. What is it that we value in life? As we have noted, uh, starting in chapter 17 and really picking up in chapter 18, We have in the book of Leviticus the beginning of what is known as the holiness codes. Coming off of the Day of Atonement in chapter 16, Yom Kippur, that high holy day when the high priest once a year entered beyond the veil, beyond the curtain, into the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, and offered sacrifices for himself and for the people Coming off of that, we have then these holiness codes, these ways of living, and really, as Luke and Scott have uh, preached so well to you the last number of Sundays, more than behavioral things, it's affection things. It's less about what the nation of Israel was to do and not do, and much more about who the nation of Israel was to love. And as they loved the God who loved them and brought them out of Egypt, that would show in how they conducted themselves. In chapter 18, we have much of the same material as appears in chapter 20. One of the main differences in chapter 20 is that there are now penalties assigned to and associated with the um, uh, sinning against these uh, prohibitions. But a lot of the material we have covered in chapter 18. And so some of you might say, well, hey, let's skip to chapter 21 and get through Leviticus quicker. But there's a lot here for us this morning. And so let us read then. I will read as you follow along. Uh, If you would, if you do not have a Bible with you, we try to provide one for you. So somewhere along uh, the underneath the chairs in front of you, there should be some Bibles. And I believe in that particular Bible, it's page 92. Page 92, Leviticus chapter 20, verses 1 through 9. Look at this idea of value. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, say to the people of Israel, any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel who gives any of his children to Molech shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Molech to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Molech and do not put him to death, then I will set my face against that man and against his clan and will cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him in whoring after Molech. If a person turns to mediums and necromancers whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. 
Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. This is the word of God. And so we have before us this morning this question of what is it that we value? On our dresser in our bedroom at home, there is a piece of a tree branch. You may ask why that piece of tree branch has made it through five moves and two provinces and why 21 years later a small tree branch from the forests of Algonquin Park in Ontario still resides on our dresser. Well, because a friend of mine and I, while Mel and I were dating, went on a week-long camping trip in Algonquin Park, and while we were hanging out in the backwoods of Ontario, I carved into that tree branch, Jeff Hart Mel. Aww. Now, if you were to read that now, I'm not sure that it's still as quite as clear as it was when it was first carved, but I brought that back from the camping trip, gave that to my wife, and she has held onto it for 21 years and counting. Aww. (laughs) Now, do not tell that story because of my romanticness. But to show you that for you, a hunk of tree branch doesn't hold a lot of value, especially if your name's not Jeff or Mel. But my wife values that. We value things, and we show we value them even if others do not. By the place of honor we give it, by the time we spend with it, the resources we spend on it, the affections that we give towards it. We value things. It is not a question of do we value things. The question is what do we value or more appropriate for our passage this morning, who do we value? Who do you value this morning? Again, as was mentioned even last Sunday, Pastor Luke, holiness is not primarily about our behavior. It is mainly about our affections. Who do we love? Who do we value? Who do we hold as supreme in our lives? And so I want us to go to what I believe are the two key verses of this passage, verses 7 and 8, and we're going to start in the last part of verse 8. So we're going to start in 8b, and then we're going to consider verses 7 and 8, and then we're going to expand and see all nine verses of this section. But notice, if you would, the last part of verse 8. God says to his people, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And so in the first place this morning, notice that God is the one who values us. Any discussion of holiness that begins with us is already on the wrong track. Because as we have said repeatedly, going through the book of Romans and now through the book of Leviticus, and when we get to Hebrews, Lord willing, next year, and any time we preach and any time we read the Bible, do not come to the Bible And notice the imperatives without first recognizing and believing the indicatives. What do I mean by that? 
Do not come to what God commands before first going to what God has said is true. Do not come to Scripture with all that it commands without first understanding who God is and what he has done in us for us and where he is taking us and who he is making us to be. If you start a discussion of holiness with there is a list of things that you need to do, you are consigning yourself out of the gate to failure. But if you start a conversation of holiness with the only one who is holy, 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 holy is the Lord God of hosts, now you've started the conversation correctly. God says to his people, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. The power to be holy, the desire to be holy, all comes from God. He is the one who initiates this in us. We are not the ones who by our force of will and by the power of habit make ourselves holy. No, God is the one who is holy and he is the only one that can make us holy. And so notice, first of all, God values us. He is our authority. Notice how he calls himself, how he refers to himself. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. I am God. We've mentioned this before, even in chapter 18. But how God refers to himself clearly has notes of authority. And so we are to submit to that authority. One of the lessons that we need to learn right out of the gate as we start our lives is that we are not God. And we spend a lifetime being reminded of that and forgetting that periodically. You are not God. I am not God. There is a God and none of us is him. He is the authority. He has spoken all things into existence. He knows how all things are supposed to operate. And anytime we do anything contrary to his character and his word and the truth, we set ourselves up for trouble. But notice, he is not just our authority. If that was it, that would be enough. God, you made me. You've said this. Therefore, it is my duty to obey. That would be enough. But notice his name. Perhaps in your Bible... It is L-O-R-D, all caps. Anytime that appears, certainly in the ESV, that is the name Yahweh, what we know perhaps as Jehovah. Yahweh. It is the personal name of God that he gave to his servant Moses and to his people Israel. There is not just notes of authority, but there's notes of fatherliness. There's a familial relationship that is denoted here by his very name. This is not just, I am God, hear me roar. This is, I'm your father, I love you and want what's best for you. Do not just hear then in this name of God, this scary big being who is just out to get you, and when you screw up, he delights in smiting you. No, 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 no. Understand here, this is your father who is speaking to you out of a heart of love and compassion for you, who knows you better than you know yourself, who knows your past 
present and your future, who knows the way you ought to go, who knows what will best cause you to flourish, who has your best interest in mind. And doubting that goes back to the garden where the evil one placed that seed of doubt in Adam and Eve's mind. Does God really have your best interest in mind? Yes, he does. And as their father, he comes to the nation of Israel and say, I know what's best for you. I love you. Notice then in the third place, the reality that God values us. He values us enough to set us apart to resemble him. The word there sanctifies you. I am the one who sanctifies you. That is what is what holiness is. It is to be set apart. To be like God in the sense of emulating his character. To live like God. To think like God. To act like God. To have an attitude like God's. That is what holiness is. Since God is holiness and is holy, he defines it for us. Therefore, to be holy is to be like God. And he's the one that sets us apart to resemble him. Left to ourselves, what we value primarily is ourselves. And if you ever doubt the reality that we value ourselves above all else, all you need to do is spend 30 milliseconds on social media. We have this great invention, the camera, that's now stuck in a phone. And for those of you that are a little bit younger, we used to use phones to call people. And what is the primary use of all of this technology? The selfie. When I was sick in 2019, I was watching a YouTube channel, a reaction channel. And they would show different things, clips, different things, and have different groups of people react to it. One of those videos was a challenge. And all of the people that were taking the challenge were under the age of 20. So they brought out a, vi a, a video camera, one of the old ones that made you feel like a video camera man, the one that went up on your shoulder with the eyepiece. You guys remember what I'm talking about, right? Those that are above 30 or 40 in the congregation. Challenge one, figure out how to turn this thing on and load it with an, a, video, a VHS tape. You guys remember VHS tapes, right? It was big enough to take a whole one of those in the side of it, click and then, you know. Challenge number two, take a video. Challenge number three, figure out how to plug it into a television and play your video on TV. When it got to challenge number two, three of the four people taking the challenge turned the camera on themselves. Now, this thing is designed to take video of everything out there. There's a lot of stuff out there. It has an eyepiece, a shoulder thing. Like it's, it's clearly designed to go up on your shoulder so you can take video of everything out there. And three of the four people took this huge, honking, heavy thing and was like, how do I take a video of myself? And that's not all their fault. A lot of that is ours. That's who we are. Left to ourselves, it's all about us. 
And God gently, graciously, compassionately, lovingly reminds us and empowers us to realize it's about him. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. He loves. He is grace and mercy and compassion and gentleness and goodness and kindness and truth and love. He is outward focused, others oriented, life giving. This is who God is and he desires us to be the same. And we're so wrapped up in ourselves that we can't see straight and God comes along to save us from ourselves. Our sin and rebellion and all that we are to make us more like who he is. He does that. I, the Lord, sanctify you. And he does that in the fourth place this morning because he loves and cares for us. We live in a culture that has turned the word love into a synonym for affirmation. And I want to continue to remind us here at Grace Baptist Church that love and affirmation are two very different things. Is it a true statement that God loves you just as you are? Yes, but it is also a true statement that God loves you enough not to leave you there. Don't have the one without the other. Yes, God loves you. Knowing who you have been, who you are, and who you will be. Knowing all of that, God loves you. But he loves you so much that he doesn't leave you there. He transforms you. He changes you. He begins to slowly, gently, sometimes imperceptibly, but always and consistently make you more like him. And he doesn't do that because he hates you and doesn't want you to have any fun and wants you to miss out on all the fun stuff that's going on around you. He does that because he loves you and cares for you. He made you. And if you are here in Christ this morning, he remade you in Christ. He knows what's best for you. He knows how you're supposed to operate. And he wants you to reach your full potential. And your full potential does not come from listening and following your heart. Because as Jeremiah the prophet will tell us, has told us, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? No, you reach your full potential by becoming more like the one who made you. God does all of this because he values us. In the second place then this morning, based on his valuing of us, the indicatives of God's sovereignty, the indicatives of God's work in us, we move now to some of the imperatives. But understand that these commands do not come in the absence of God's power in our lives to obey them. We ought to value God then in verses 7 through 8a. God begins, consecrate yourselves, therefore. We ought to value being set apart to resemble him. God values us enough to set us apart to resemble him, to be making us more like who he is, to cause us to resemble his character. As he does that, we ought to desire the same. That ought to be a value that we have. We should not just be begrudgingly Christian. Well, I'll put in my time and I'll do the things that I have to do, but I don't really enjoy this. A relationship with God is just that. It is not a list of do's and don'ts. 
that is a relationship with the one who spoke all things into existence, who loves us and cares for us. It is growing more deeply in love with him and our knowledge of him and our relationship with him. We have to value that and it ought to show. If our affections are for him, then it ought to show in our behavior. And so the, the idea of consecration, being set apart for him, do we value him and does it show? In the second place, we ought to value our loving Father and submit to his authority. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Not in the absence of the back half of verse 8. God is the one who is doing the sanctifying. But based on the power that he provides and the initiative that he takes, we then have things that we do out of that. And the call is for us to be holy call is for us to live in light of that. What does that mean? I think at the, at the very least it means we value God. We have affection for him. We enjoy listening to him and to his word and submitting to it. We find great joy and delight in obedience to him. Jesus Christ was the most submissive human being who ever lived, and he was also simultaneously the most fulfilled human being who ever lived. He says in John's Gospel, I only came to do the will of my Father in heaven, and he is the perfect human. Following God, delighting in God, submitting to God, rejoicing in God and all that he is, is not backwards does not restrict us, it frees us. It causes us to reach our full potential, it causes us to be who we were created to be. We value obeying him, verse 8a. Keep my statutes and do them. The hardest part about obedience is the desire aspect. I'll do this, but I don't want to. We'll do some very hard things, some very difficult things, if we want to do them, or at the very least, we want the results at the end. Again, the issue with holiness is not primarily behavior, it's affection. Do we, do we love God? Do we love the parameters he's put into place? Do we love the boundaries that he has given? Do we love this? Do we find freedom in that? Or instead, do we, do, do we doubt that he has our best interest in mind? Do we push back against this? Do we value him? And then in the fourth place, we value then holiness. That's what this whole section is about. Chapter 17 and following, but even this particular section of verses 1 through 9 in chapter 20. That's what is going on here. Do we value holiness? Because we value God and he is holy. So God values us, that anchors everything. If God does not love us, we will not love him. But God does love us. That ought to lead then to us loving him. And what does that lead then in the third place? Valuing God then leads to holiness. Let's go back through the rest of the passage. Valuing God's unique supremacy is in the first place. If we value God, it will lead to holiness. It leads to us valuing his unique supremacy. 
It may seem odd to us, it may have seemed odd that this was included in chapter 18, it may seem odd that it's included here. Who in the world would take their child and sacrifice it to a false idol? Is that really necessary to include in this passage? Is that really going to be temptation for the nation of Israel when they enter into the land? They're going to sacrifice their children to Molech? Is that really a problem they need to be aware of? And the answer, of course, is yes. Now briefly, if any of you have pre-read this passage, and in light of some of the political realities happening to our neighbors to the south, you may have wanted me this morning to go in a certain direction with this passage. I want to say again, Grace Baptist Church is unapologetically pro-life and not out of any political reasoning, but because our God is a God of life, he is a life-giving God, and so therefore we are to be the same. And that does not just mean as it relates to the issue of abortion, but that is all of life from its conception until its God-ordained end. We love life. We promote life. And I've done a theology forum specifically on that topic. But do not read this passage and read in this passage abortion because that is not what is going on here. What is going on here is idolatry. What is going on here is the nation of Israel being tempted to value something above God's supremacy, thereby to value something above the lives of their own children. Let me step on a few toes then here this morning. For many in the Christian church, the topic of abortion seems to be an easy one to rally against. And there is definitely a sense in which that is true and ought to be true. But I think lurking behind that can be two, at least two areas that we need to be cautious of. Number one, if we are against abortion, primarily because it's a sin that we have not committed, we tend to be the most adamantly opposed to sins we don't struggle with. And we need to guard our hearts on that. Are we opposed to abortion? Yes. Is that right and good? Yes. But what are the reasons behind that? And are we so opposed to abortion that anyone within our midst who has committed the sin of abortion is so afraid to come forward and get the help that they need that they are silent amongst us? We should never hate the sin of abortion to the point that we hate those that have had one. But secondarily, we can get it twisted when just because we haven't sacrificed our children in utero means that we haven't sacrificed them to lesser gods after they've been born. There are all kinds of false gods that are going after the hearts of our children. These are the false gods, Molech being one of them, that God calls his nation of Israel to avoid. Avoid the temptation to love anything more than God and thereby 
love it more than your own children. So that you would be willing to sacrifice your children in order to gain this thing that you value more than them and that you value more than God. I don't know if you remember these things that came out of kindergarten or the nursery around Mother's Day, where they would sometimes ask the kids, what is your mother's favorite thing? They have a little chart, what's your mother's favorite color? What color are her eyes? Draw a picture of your mom. And uh, that didn't really do anything for the mom's ego, but there was these little charts and pictures and things that they have the kids do in kindergarten. Sometimes around Father's Day for dads as well. I remember one of our children would ask that, at a very young age, what is your mother's favorite thing? Their response was laundry. <laughs> now my wife loves doing laundry. I don't know if that's her supreme value. And we kind of laugh, it's like, <laughs> that's so funny. Well, interesting that a little child would see that in us. Yeah, but be careful you don't laugh too long. Because what if you did that now? What if you went to your child now, especially as an adult, what does mom and dad value? Would it be God? Would it be Jesus? This is not to shame anyone because understand again, holiness is not a matter of behavior, it's a matter of affection. And it is God that does the work in us. So we always must cling to the gospel, but it is good and right for us to ask these questions. We may say we value God above all else. Would the people that know us best see that in us? Or is there something else or someone else that we value more? We can look at sacrificing children to Molech and rightly be abhorred by that. That's horrific. And yet we have to ask ourselves the questions, what false gods have we introduced our children to and cause them to worship above the one true God? Have we sacrificed our children for something that we value more than God? Valuing God's unique supremacy. Number two, valuing God over human relationships in verses four and five. In verse two, it says, the people of the land shall stone him with stones. It not only gives a punishment for violating this, but it also lets the people of Israel know who is to enact that punishment. It is the people themselves. And notice in verse four, and if the people of the land do it all, close their eyes to that man. The nation of Israel is, is arranged in clans, arranged in tribes and families. And so if anybody is sinning, certainly sinning privately, anyone that would know that, or perhaps the first people that would know that is their own family members. And so now the question becomes, do I value God over even family? Because if I report this individual as having violated God's holiness, that will mean their death. Do I value God over even family and friends? This puts our values to the test. We say that we value God, how much do we value God? And the nation of Israel the same. To value God even over human relationships. One of our questions for further reflection, take us to Matthew 10, and Jesus says that. I did not come to bring peace, he says, but the sword. Sort of following up the words of Simeon said at his uh, consecration, his own consecration to the temple. 
Here is one, Simeon says, that is going to divide Israel. Jesus says, we're going to be put at odds with our father and our mother and our brothers and our sisters, our children and our grandchildren. Not because we are hateful and spiteful, but because we love God above all else. And if there is someone in our family or friend group who does not, that is going to challenge our affections. So God not only puts the punishment in place, he puts the onus on enacting the punishment on the nation of Israel. Number three, if we value God leading to holiness, we will value God's trustworthiness. person turns to mediums and necromancers, whoring after them. What is the problem here, even as we looked at it last Sunday? We want to know the future. We want to know if we're on the right track. Are we doing the right thing? Are we following the right way? And so there is a tendency, even in our day, to go to these types of individuals. I don't know that anybody in here this morning has been a part of a seance, which is more the necromancer side of things, but tarot cards, palm reading, any of that kind of thing. Psychics, the president of my Bible college always used to laugh when a psychic hotline went bankrupt because apparently they didn't see it coming. Um, but we do, we do there's, these things are prevalent in our society. And so the question here is, if we value God above all else because of his valuing us, do we trust him? And if we trust him, there is no need to go outside of his word for extra revelation. Follow him and trust in him. And then do we trust God's framework in verse 9? The cursing here of father and mother is not just a temper tantrum by a three-year-old in the grocery store. The cursing here is, the word here is, and the idea here is, elsewhere in the Old Testament certainly, this idea of wishing one's parents were dead. A full-scale uh, rejection of them and their guidance and their desire to move us in the way of the Lord. In a sense, then, father and mother stand in with deferred authority from God himself, and so a, a hardened rejection of our parents in, in the way that they lead us towards God is ultimately a hardened rejection of God. And so, God values us. Grace Baptist, those that are here and those that are watching online, marinate in that, soak in that. We try to bring this to you every single Sunday. You are loved by God if you are in him this morning. God did not love a future version of you, a better, more cleaned up version of you. God loved who you were, are, and will be. God loves you. Which means, as our brother Tim Keller has reminded us, we are neither worthy nor worthless, but we are loved. That love will change us and cause us to value God out of a heart of humility and gratitude and thanksgiving. Because of his valuing us, we will value him. And what does that look like? It looks like valuing the things that he values. It looks like living out his character. And so again, that is the question for us this morning. What do we value? Do we value God? 
that we value the one who is worthy as we have sung this morning, that we value the one who is great as we have sung this morning, that we value him because of the value that he has placed on us. My prayer for us is that we do and that it will show in all that we do. Let's look to him in prayer this morning. Father, I thank you for your great love for us. We are undeserving of it. And yet, Father, we rejoice in it. Father, this question of value, it is true that if we value you, we value someone that unfortunately the majority of our society does not. And so, that is going to put us at odds with those in our family, amongst our friends, amongst our coworkers, fellow students, neighbors. And yet, Father, we are not to live in that space as though we are superior because of our valuing of you, but we are to live in that space in great humility because the only reason we value you is because you value us. We love you, why? Because you first loved us. Father, keep us from self-righteousness and cause us in great humility to thank you for ever loving a wretched sinner such as us. And then let us rest in the reality that you love sinners. And if you can love us, you can love anyone. Let us reach out to those around us, not out of a sense of condescension or superiority, but out of a sense of compassion and love. Because, Father, we want everyone to know the one who loves us so much. Father, what do we value? There are so many idols, so many temptations. So many distractions, so many things that are calling us to value them. And yet what we need to value, who we need to value more than anything is you. God, help us where we have failed and help us to value you more and more each day. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.